0: Good morning. Good morning, again. Hey, I have uh, another, I guess it could be called an announcement. Um, <clears throat> I worked a lot of this week up in, up. Uh, I don't know, I get. I guess it's LaVerne up around Nashville. It's a company that we work for up there that's a construction company. Um, they do land clearing where they're going to build the neighborhoods and that kind of stuff. They come in to the property and we do a lot of work for them and, and they have a lot of what they call amigos that work with them. I, I, I mean, I just came on site and said, boy, there's a lot of Mexicans here. And I said, well, there are, but they're not all Mexicans. Some of them are from different places. So I got to talking to one guy that speaks really good English. Um, his name's Rene. I started calling him Tabasco because he's from Tabasco, Mexico. Well, he introduces me to this other guy whose name is Wilson. Yeah, right. But Wilson is from Guatemala. So, you know, of course, the first thing comes in my mind, hey, our church sends a group to Guatemala. We was going about twice a year over the last five or six years. And I told him the the at first I couldn't remember the exact places, but then I, I remembered and when I told him he said, Hey, we have people from there that that are not my family's not directly from there, but we have family that are from that area. So he and I get to talking back and forth, and he goes to a, a church in, uh, I think he told me, Murfreesboro. Um, and, and they had been just been talking about the benefits of spreading the gospel in places where you're not and, and going to foreign places and missions and that mindset. So he just kind of got beside himself... It turns out his brother works at the same place and I ended up talking to both of them and um, they wanted to say a great big huge thank you to Wales Baptist Church for your mission work in Guatemala. That's their people and they're very appreciative. Of the fact that we would spend money to go there to, to meet physical needs, but more importantly to tell them about the gospel. He said because... They said because they did not know Christ until they came to the United States. They didn't have that opportunity where they were. So they're forever grateful to you. If it was money or you physically went, Wilson and his brother say a great big thank you. Um, yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, I, I, I learned a lot. I even went to the Mexican restaurant with the Mexicans one day. So I thought that was the craziest thing I've ever done, Eddie. Living on the edge now, boys. When they first said it, I thought I couldn't go. They said, "We're gonna go get grab lunch. You want to go with us?" And I said, "Yeah, I mean, I gotta eat somewhere." He said, "We're going to the Margarita House," and I went, "Whoa, hang on. We've been over here having church, and you going?" He said, "No, no, it's just a Mexican restaurant." I said, "Okay, yeah, I'll go." So anyway, I'm living on the edge. Y'all pray for me. <clears throat> um, and the next thing. Tara called a few weeks ago, several weeks ago now, to ask about Father's Day and what to do. Well, she asked the wrong person. And I said, let's don't do nothing. How about that? But really and truly, I put a lot of thought into this, and I wanted to let y'all know why you won't see us handing stuff out today. And it's because they did ask me. And they said, need you to decide. Well, to me... You don't have to give me something for me to know that you appreciate me. I don't don't have to walk out of here with something today. What I would rather have is the vocal expression. I I like a pat on the back. from That flesh side of me comes up. If I can just get a random pat on the back, hey, you're doing a good job, and a thumbs up, I'm good for about six months. I go more off of that than I do stuff and themes. That's why we won't be handing... So it's not, not what not Tara's decision or Kevin's decision. Kevin said, call Nick, he'll be preaching. I went, hey, I got this. Shut her down. So, because I did that, I'd like to tell every father in here a great, big, huge thank you. What you do is not unnoticed. Thank you. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Um, And... You know, I always have this thing about Kevin does Mother's Day and tells you how great mothers are, and then Nick has to come in at Father's Day and pay on the floor and tell you how dumb you are and how you ought to be doing a better job. I'm not doing that this time. I'm going a different route. Right? We're still going to talk about fathers and fatherhood and the importance of it, but we're going to take a different streak to get there. You know what I mean? So if y'all would, go with me to Romans chapter 5. Verse eight Romans Chapter Five, Verse Eight. Also, mark Romans Chapter Eight, Verse Thirty Seven. So, Romans Five, Eight, and Romans Eight, Thirty Seven. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do humble ourselves before you to say thank you for yet another day of life. I thank you for the opportunity to come in this morning and share your word, and I thank you for the opportunity to to minister to and to to talk to this morning, specifically fathers. I pray that You would open our hearts and our, our minds to Your Word. And I pray, Father, that everything that comes out of my mouth is because it's Your desire that it do so. Father, that it will be glorifying to Your name. We thank You. We love You. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, um, growing up for a lot of my life, I was told and mostly convinced that practice makes perfect. That if you'll just do something over and over and over again, you'll get better at it. That practice makes perfect. When I got older and got into things like archery, I figured out that practice, in fact, does not make perfect. I figured out that perfect practice makes perfect. In other words, if you, if you practice something with a flaw, when it comes game time, guess what's coming to the surface? The flaw. So if you want to perform at the top, you got to practice at the top, right? you got to have good form. Everything's got to be in the right places as you practice so that when game time comes, you'll be on point. So practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Well, I've also figured out that that carries over into some other things. In order for you and I to live out as the example God desires for us to be, we must first have the perfect example. Right? Our training has to be perfect if we want to be involved in the perfect performance. So in other words, as good a dad as my dad was, and I told him I don't know, two or three years ago, I didn't tell them, but I told everybody that was at the marriage retreat, I had the most awesome childhood that anybody could ever have. I mean, I really believe, I really thought we had the greatest childhood ever. And it was in large part because of my parents. They were great examples. They always took care of us. They sacrificed everything so that we could have whatever it was. We weren't spoiled by any means. We earned things and we learned where things came from. But at the same time, people ask those hypotheticals, where would you go if you could go backwards? And I go, childhood. There was so much fun. There was was so much going on. And as great of an example as my dad was, he was not the perfect example for me to become a great father. Because he had flaws in his performance. So if I practiced what he did, I would make some errors along the way. This is not news to him. Don't feel sorry that I'm talking about him. He knows this. We've had this discussion. As great a job as they did, there were flaws. So if I want to have a better example then my father there's or I want to become a better example than my father was I got to go above him right because if I mimic him that's the level I'm going to get to You see what I'm talking about I got to step up the game right Well I want to tell all the fathers in here Your father ain't the only one that had flaws I want to tell all the children in here, your father ain't the only one that has flaws. We live in this fleshly body. We're trapped in this flesh, and it rears its ugly head. I have selfish desires, and if I don't pay real close attention, guess what I pursue? Fleshly desires. That becomes a flaw. And if my daughter is watching, like I've instructed her to do, guess what she's going to see? So, I've got to have a better example. Well, there is no better example than perfect, right? God is the perfect Father and the perfect example for you and I. Now, I narrowed this down because it got real long as I was going through this. I narrowed this down to three things three examples or three traits of God that every one of us can put into practice in our efforts to become, and I'm not going to call it perfect father or perfect husband or perfect whoever, but I'm going to call it godly. We all want to become a godly example, right? Whether your kids are completely grown and out of the house or they're just now getting started, this applies. Because truth be told, I'm not just supposed to be that example to my daughter. Matter of fact, for 17 years of marriage before Montana came into our lives, I had that same responsibility. It wasn't my kids. It was every time I came in contact with a child or a young person. And you know what? I have to still do that today. I still make an effort today to pour into kids... Right now, I've got a prime target, this little red-headed feller over here. Everywhere I see him, as far as he can tell, I hung the moon, and y'all don't tell him no different, please. I'm telling you, I can roll up on Thursday nights to supper, and if ain't nobody in that house happy to see me, he's at the door watching for me to pull up. Well, see, it just takes me recognizing and realizing this in order for me to be able to take advantage of this opportunity, that that maybe I can pour something into him that's way bigger than what this world is going to contain for him. It should be your goal as well, whether it's your kids or somebody else's. Maybe it's your nieces and nephews, right? Maybe maybe it's your siblings. I don't know who it is. Maybe it's a random stranger. It don't matter. Take advantage of the opportunity. Now, in order for us to be a good example, we got to follow a good example, right? The first thing that you and I, the first character trait that you and I can take from God and apply is God loves His children. The scriptures we just read. Look at this. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's not waiting for you to reach a certain level of maturity before He starts loving you. God's not waiting for you to measure up to a certain standard before He starts loving you. I got to have this conversation with a gentleman just last night. He called looking for some counsel. And, and I got to have this discussion with him. Listen, you ain't got to get to a certain place in your life, in your spiritual maturity. You ain't got to live up to a certain spot in the standard before God starts loving you. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. You didn't have to fill out some paperwork and, and prove what kind of person or what kind of... Um, What kind of um, character that you had? You didn't have to prove anything to God. While you you didn't love Him, God loved you. That's awesome. If we could just learn that. If I could just learn to love people the way that God loves them with nothing attached. There's not a certain standard that they have to get to. There's not a certain level of maturity that they have to get to before I start to love them. Can you imagine the impact it would have on the world we live in if you and I could develop that mentality to just love people the way God does? While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. He said you are to die for while you were a sinner while you didn't love Him. Think about that. What if we could display that? What What if every one of us had that mentality? Good news, you can. You can. It takes some work and it's going to take some effort, but you can. And think of the difference it'll make in the world we live in when we get to that point where we just openly love people for one reason, because God made them. <laughs> now that doesn't mean you've got to accept all their wrongs and all that thing. We'll get into that here in just a moment. But to genuinely love people, just because they're people. No, no other reason, not because they met a certain standard, not because they did something great for you. It may anger God when we stray or disobey. But he doesn't stop loving us. It's not that he's okay with us just doing what we want to do while we're here. But the fact is, he continues to, he started loving us while we were sinners, and he continues to love us no matter what we do. He's not okay with it. He's not okay with some of our behavior, he's not okay with us blending in with the world. He wants us to be set apart. He wants us to stand out in the darkness. He wants us to be a light in this world. But just because you mess up doesn't mean He stops loving you. What if we did that for people? That even though they they made a bonehead decision, even though they did something ridiculous, stupid, we just loved on them. We just loved on them. Talk to a guy, and I know it's hard for y'all to hear all these stories, and it's hard to sit here and imagine that one person does all this junk in a week's time. But I'm telling you, I do. I don't know why or how. All I can tell you is God puts people in my path, and I try to be aware. But I had a conversation with a guy just this week. Another different conversation, different guy. And his concern was, That he had lived such a life that God could not love him. That because of the things he had done, God didn't love him anymore. Or that somehow God stopped loving him. That's not how it works. God's love is unconditional and never failing unconditional and never failing. What if you and I were able to display that kind of love? What if we were able to be that kind of example in this world? Look at, look at, back to Romans chapter 8. We are going to move around a little bit this morning. So once we leave a scripture, you can leave that scripture um, as we move forward. Romans chapter 8, 37. we have to turn one more page. Nothing in all of creation can separate you from the love of God. What if we had that mentality when it came to other people? That no matter where they go, what they've done, we just love them. Doesn't mean we agree with what they've done. We still got to call sin, sin. Dark is still dark. And light has no association with it, right? But that doesn't mean you stop loving people. To just develop the mindset that God has tried to instill in us, Paul is absolutely convinced that nothing in this world can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. What if other people knew that? What if if it was just our mission to convince the world that God loves you? What if we just took that on as our sole mission and that's all we did is just convince people that God loves you? Boy, if I could just do that in my neighborhood, look at the impact it would have. If I could just do that in my workplace or the places that I go, look at the impact it would have. How much different does life look for you once you learn that God loves you? That God loves you for one reason and one reason only. You ever had a kid come up to you with something they've made or drawn or colored or painted? And they come bouncing in there. And they're just as happy as they can be. And they present it to you. And they want to see you display it. And you look at it and go, this does not belong in an art museum. Right? There's no need to put this up for sale on eBay. Right? It has zero value to the rest of the world. But what does that kid think about it? Why did they present it to you? Because they love it. Do they love it because it's a piece of art? Do they love it because of its monetary value? Why do they love it? Because they created it. The only reason that they have to love it is because they made it. If God don't have But one reason to love you, it's that. You're His creation and He loves you. Just because He made you, if for no other reason. He loves you. He don't look at it and see the flaws. He don't look at it and question its value. He looks at it and goes, I made that and I love it. I love it if for no other reason, listen to me, you can pass this kind of love to your children, to your grandchildren, to the neighborhood kids, if you have that opportunity. So that this kind of love can be felt by a multitude of people. If you and I want to be what God desires us to be, that means we must imitate God Himself. And this is just three ways. I'll I'll let them get set down so y'all can get back focused up here. I know that's the cutest little train y'all have ever seen. I get it. I get it. The next thing that God does for His children that you and I can do for our children or the next characteristic that you and I can take on. Go with me all the way back to Joshua. Where we spent the last few weeks. Joshua chapter 1. The second thing that I put down that we notice about God and His characteristics is He encourages His children. God is an encourager it would be an awesome trait for you and I to have is to just be... This right here is Struggle Bus City for me. I'm not a real good encourager. I'm more of a fault finder. I'm the person that points out what you did wrong instead of noting what you did right. I, I battle with that. I fight with that with Montana. Instead of celebrating the B, I ask why there's not an A I'm the fault finder and I have to I have to fight that, Eddie. I, I really have to understand that that exists in me so I can try to make the correction and become the encourager because God himself is not a fault finder. He doesn't sit up there and point out our faults. He's an encourager. And we see that in one instance right here in Joshua. Um... let's just start in verse 1 just to kind of keep the context real and, and kind of keep going with our theme here. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead now. Therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, Just as I promised to Moses from the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Look at this. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For when, then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. I Have, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God is an encourager. He encourages His children. And He uses specific things to do that. First of all, He's encouraging with His words. Right? God's encouraging with His words. Look at how He spoke to Joshua. Joshua's a new leader coming up under Moses. He's been an assistant. Moses has died. He's not going to get to make the trip into the promised land. So here's Joshua fixing to lead the children of Israel. And God's standing up there going, be courageous. Be of good courage. Be strong. Be confident. He's encouraging him with His words. He also encourages him and all of his children with his presence. I will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter where you go, no matter what happens, I will be here. I am always here and I am always available. How many many of you had a, a parent that told you, no matter what happens, you can call me? I had that. And I tried it one time. My dad always told me, and my mom too, if you get to a place where you don't belong, you pick up the phone and you call me, and we'll come get you, no questions asked. I went with a friend. I was about 13 or 14 years old, and I went with a friend down to the river to a company picnic party. And I got to that company picnic party a day early. We had a blast. Me and my friend fished all night. We had a ball. The next day, other people from the company start showing up. And it started getting a little sketchy. And the owner of the company's in a big old long Cadillac in the middle of this crowd of people cutting donuts. Wasted out of his mind. This guy pulls up in a short wheelbase, half-ton Chevrolet pickup truck, nearly new, a chrome toolbox on the back, two jet skis. He backs the jet skis down into the water and puts them to a dock, pulls the truck back up off to the side, and he opens the toolbox on that truck, and it looked like the ice cream man had showed up for adults. Obviously, the people there knew who that was and knew what he had. Inside the lid of that toolbox, honest to goodness, I'm telling you the truth, was every drug known to man. It was every every pill, it was every powder. It was in crack form. It was smokable, shootable. He had all the supplies and everything you needed inside the toolbox of this truck. I wandered over there, seen this, and went, I do not belong here. So I went to my friend's mom and I said, I need a telephone. We didn't have cell phones then. I said, I need a telephone. She said, why? I said, because I need to call my dad. She said, why? I said, because I don't belong here. I'm going home. And my dad told me if I ever get in a place where I felt like I didn't belong to call him and he would come get me. I'm calling him. Oh, no, it'll be okay. I said, no, ma'am. No, ma'am, it won't be okay. I don't belong here. I need a phone. And she took me to a phone and I called my dad and I said, will you come get me? He said, yeah, where are you at? And I asked the mom and she told me and I told dad, he said, it'll take me a little bit, but I'll be there. And he come got me. And I found out that day at 11, 12, 13, whatever age I was, that my mom and dad was serious when they said, I'll never leave you. They were serious when they said, if you need me, call me. No questions asked. I got in the truck. We headed back to Pulaski, and I was so relieved. About halfway, he said, I mean, what, what was going on? And I told him, he said, well, I'm glad you called. I said, I'm glad you came. I was terrified. Listen, to know that you have a father that will never leave you, look at, the, look at the encouragement that comes from the fact of knowing that wherever I'm at, wherever I find myself, I can call my father. Even if it's my fault, that particular time, my, my instance, well, I mean, I didn't do anything, just went along with a friend. I just, wrong place, wrong time, bad. But, you know, it is possible that I could make bad decisions and get me, myself to a place I don't belong. The the end story is still the same. When you call out to Him, He answers. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You can choose to walk away. You can walk off. But I can assure you, wherever you are in your walk of life, God's serious when He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He encourages with His words. We should encourage with our words. He encourages with His presence. He also encouraged Joshua with his assistance, right? Joshua, this ain't about you. This ain't about you being able to do it. You keep this law. You keep this word. You meditate on this. You don't steer from it left or right, and you're going to be prosperous. In other words, God's looking at him going, Listen, if you'll just continue to do the right things, I'll make sure it comes out for you. In anything I can do, I'll assist you. As long as you'll stay on this path, as long as and remember, we went through this story. We we went through, went on over to AI, and and somebody brought sin in the camp. And guess what? It went south. God's serious about it, right? He holds us accountable. This isn't a picture of sun sunflowers and roses and puppy dogs and all this lovey dubby sit in the corner and hum, and it's all gonna be well as long as you smile. No, there's still some responsibility on you. God's still going to hold you accountable. There's accountability at my house. There has to be. There has to be. There needs to be accountability on your part. This isn't about just loving them through and making sure they succeed and going in front of them. And God doesn't do that. Not at all. But the encouragement comes from the fact that we know He's not going to leave us. The encouragement comes from His Word. Read His Word. Look at His Word. And if you don't get encouragement from that, I I don't know what else to offer you. I mean, he, He assures us of all these things. God loves His children unconditionally, without fail, and God is an encourager, not a fault finder. That's where I've got to make adjustments and I know that. I'm a fault finder. I'm much more likely to tell you what you did wrong than to tell you what you did right. That's not okay. But I know it exists, so I'm working at it. And I hope you'll join me in that. I hope that if you look at these things and you say that's a trait God has that I don't exhibit, I hope you'll begin to address that. It's not about being perfect at these things, but it's about being willing to make whatever adjustments you have to to make sure that God gets glory from your life whether it's raising your kids or helping others or whatever. But you got to be willing to make the adjustments when you see that something's out of whack. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. This is the place where I realized I had a problem. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. You know, that's a pretty direct instruction right there. Huh. It's kind of hard to twist that, even taken out of context, and make it say anything except exactly what it says. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth. Only things that are good for building up. If we only spoke encouraging words, and we only spoke things that built other people up, and no corrupt word ever came out of our mouth, how many of you would have to admit you would talk half as much as you do now? You don't have to raise your hand, I know. It's the truth. We're all guilty. If God put a stipulation on us that the only way words can come out of your mouth is if they're uplifting and building words, nothing corrupt corrupt can come out, we would be about at half capacity with our words. It's the flesh. It's the flesh. Listen, it's easy to get caught up in it. What we got to be mindful to always be encouraging and building up. Look, I mean, I want to read that again. This is where I got hung up this week. This is where I come to the realization that I'm a fault finder and a critic. And I ain't supposed to be. Let's read that again. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. I mean, how else? I mean... It says what it says, and he means what it says. Keep going. But only such as is good for building up. The only thing that should be coming out of your mouth is building up, encouraging. As fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Our, our speech should be full of grace. You know what grace is? We always put mercy and grace together, right? I think I got this illustration from Kevin. Mercy is God holding back what we deserve. That's mer- You know what we deserve? God's wrath. That's what we deserve. Every one of us. I don't want no part of God. what I deserve. Because it's wrath. So God is holding that back. That's what I deserve. That's mercy. Grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. Giving us what we do not deserve. God's love. Look at this. That it may give grace to those who hear. God didn't put you here to hand out to people what they deserve. God puts you here to hand out His grace. Even in our words, God's grace should flow out of our mouth. Because, trust me, if you're a living, breathing human being present on this earth today, you have been given God's grace. No question about it. Therefore, we should be pushing that forward And especially into our children. All right, here we go. This is the one nobody wants to talk about. This is the third thing, characteristic that I picked out that we could imitate of God to become more godly fathers and overall to become more godly people. So we've got God loves his children unconditionally without fail. God encourages His children. He does that through His words, through His presence, and through His assistance. God is an encourager. And He expects us to be encouraging and not tearing down. And the third thing, God disciplines His children. God disciplines His children. Um, Deuteronomy, you don't have to turn there. Deuteronomy 8.5 says, Know that in your heart, that as a man disciplines his son the Lord your God disciplines you. The way I know that I am a child of God is that He disciplines me. That's one of the ways, right? Just like a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. Were any of you ever disciplined as a child? Some of y'all better not say yeah. Yeah. I've seen how y'all act. Look, the ones laughing loudest are guilty. I always go here. If there was one thing my dad was good at when I was a kid, and I have one witness here with me today, because the other one never experienced it. But me and my brother, he will stand up here and testify that everything I'm about to tell you is the truth. One of us, at least one of us, got our tail end busted every day of our lives. And there were days that we should have got more. (laughs) We was mean. We got into stuff all the time. And our dad would discipline us, and our mom would discipline us. And my mom would discipline us by telling us, your dad's going to get you when you get home." <laughs> and let me tell you, when she said that, it was true. <laughs> and my dad would say, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And i go, you must be dying. <laughs> you must be near death if this hurts you more than it does me, because you're killing me. Discipline. God is in favor of discipline. He disciplines His children. It's there to keep us in a certain place. You know what I found out later in life? If I'd acted right, discipline would have been less at my daddy's house. It wasn't because he enjoyed it so much. It was because of our behavior. Mostly Thomas' and then I'd get in trouble. But that's a different story for a different day. The discipline wouldn't be necessary if I was closer to the line I'm supposed to be walking. But it's necessary to keep me in that place. It was necessary to keep me behaving a way that that was bringing honor to my mother and father and not embarrassment. Proverbs 3.12 says, For the Lord reproves him whom he loves. Why does God discipline His children? Because He loves them. It's for our benefit. It's to keep us in a certain place. We have to have it. We are not naturally going to do what is right. We're wrapped in flesh. We still have fleshly desires. Self still rears His ugly head. I still have, God still has to discipline me from time to time. Thankfully, my dad doesn't discipline me anymore, but God still does. I don't know if I could survive one of them today, Ronnie. I'd be broke flat down. God disciplines His children because He loves His children. It's more evidence that God loves us. One more and I'm done. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews Chapter Twelve Verse Seven Hebrews Twelve Seven Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. Why does God discipline His children? For holiness. Keep going. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I want to read verse 11 again. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. So what he's telling us is discipline hurts. Whether we're talking about discipline from our heavenly Father or discipline from our earthly Father, the purpose of when I looked at my dad and go, that hurts, he'd go, it's supposed to. He was actually quoting Scripture and I didn't know it. <laughs> he didn't know it either, but I certainly didn't know it. Listen, it's supposed to be painful and not pleasant. But the fruit of that is righteousness in you. Think about that. When God disciplines us, it's not supposed to be pleasant. But the end result for enduring that discipline is righteousness. Is that not our goal? Is that not what we're supposed to be groping for and reaching for is righteousness? Well, it comes through discipline. And listen to me. Discipline that don't bring pain? It's not discipline. According to that, it's supposed to not be pleasant. Look at this. It's supposed to be uh, painful rather than pleasant. See, the pain part of it gets our attention and makes us realize and understand. But the end result is righteousness. I think every one of us, no matter what stage we're in, no matter what where we're at spiritually, whether we're father or mother or child, whatever, I believe every one of us would benefit from taking on at least these three, at least understanding these three characteristics of God. God loves His children unconditionally without fail. God encourages His children Through word, through presence, and through assistance. If we could imitate that. And lastly, God disciplines His children. Painful for a moment, but the end result? Righteousness. It's for a purpose. And it's not His joy. His joy is not the purpose. I always thought I got whoopings because my dad enjoyed it. As I got older, I found out that's not true. That's not true at all. It's for my benefit when I'm wrong. Chris, where'd you go? Chris and Vanna. We're going to come up here and lead us in in our final song this morning. I want to encourage you to to self-evaluate whatever God may have spoken to you. I ask that you um, address that by whatever means God says is necessary. Um... I want to also tell you that it's, it's not over till it's over. A lot of people ask me, is it too late for me because my kids are grown? Is it too late for me because it's as long as you've got breath in you, it's not too late for you to make a change. And you'll be surprised when you make that change When you try to start pursuing righteousness and godliness and holiness, you'll be surprised at the impact it has on people around you. It's never too late. As long as you've got a breath in your body, it's never too late to start displaying these characteristics of God the Father.